0: John 15. Let's read a few verses together. Let's read aloud together verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. Verse 5. I am the vine... Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Now I'll read, I'll read for you verses 15 and 16. Follow along. Henceforth I will call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you you and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. I want to preach from verse 16 today here in John 15, verse number 16. He says, "I've not chosen; uh, uh, I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit." And here's the phrase: "And that your fruit should remain; that your fruit should remain. Fruit that remains. We might call this legacy living, or living beyond a lifetime, or living beyond the expiration date. You can, I'll just call it what the Bible calls it: fruit. Fruit that remains, Father." Our hearts today, my heart, you know where it is today. It is to seek you and to do your will. I thank you for this opportunity to stand here in this place. These are new areas and ventures in life. Lord, this is not the first time we've stood behind a pulpit and we've prayed to you and opened the word of God and read it and submitted ourselves to you and asked you to help us. And God, we ask you that same today. We've already heard testimony, the faithfulness of God. God, we trust you to be faithful in this hour. We know your word to be faithful. We know your spirit and your power to be true and faithful. And Father, there's nothing that I as a man could say that would make any eternal value in any life here today apart from you and the truth of the word of God. We come to it. We submit ourselves anew and afresh in this hour. Fill us with your Holy Spirit without you we can do nothing thank you for this pastor his family their service to you for this church for how it reaches around the world God help us today with these scriptures Lord burn this into our hearts that what we do is for eternity God, if there's one here today that knows not Jesus Christ, this is primarily not a gospel message, the Holy Spirit could take the word of God, bring them to that place of conviction, reproof, as John calls it. Draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ. They could come today in repentance and faith, believe and call on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they could go away today with eternal life. That'd be your perfect will. God, for your people, help us, strengthen us, fill us, speak to us, convict us, draw us nearer to thee. We'll thank you, God, for that you are doing our life, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. John 15 is a very rich passage of Scripture. We could preach four weeks through these verses of Scripture, but I only have about 30 minutes, 35 minutes, so we'll do this quickly. There are many promises that we can find here. I'll mention just a few of them to you. From John chapter 15, uh, we might say that to abide in Christ enables fruitfulness. To abide in Christ enables fruitfulness. To abide is to rest, to dwell, to continue, to be firm, to be unmovable. To be in a place where you are settled and to be in a place where you are sure. My life, my security is not in me. It's not in my confidence or lack thereof. I know that it is in the Lord Jesus Christ and He is the rock and He is my foundation of life. When everything is turned upside down, the Lord never changes. Thank God for that. And I know who the Lord Jesus Christ is. He is my Savior. He is my friend. I know who He is. And I know who I am in Him, in me that is in my flesh, as Paul said, dwelleth no good thing, but in Christ. I like what one evangelist said. He said, you put a sponge in water, and it's not long until the water is in the sponge. You put the steel in the fire, and it doesn't take me just a little while until the fire is in the steel. But when I came to the Lord Jesus Christ, it didn't take a little while. It happened immediately. The Holy Spirit of God placed me in Christ and Christ in me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I know who I am. I'm nothing apart from Christ. But through Christ, I know that I can do all things. And I know that God has called me and God has saved me because of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you might look at your life today and say, woe is me, poor me. I don't know what I can do. Of your own self, zero with the ring rubbed out. But in Christ. In Christ, the possibilities are eternal. In Christ, the opportunities are endless. In Christ. So abiding in Him and realizing all that I have in Christ and resting in Him and knowing that my place is in Christ and knowing that my power is Christ in me and then knowing that my purpose is this, the two of us, He in me and I in Him and we go forth and we do the will of the Father. This is the only way to ever bear fruit. Abiding in Christ. To abide in Christ enables fruitfulness. Disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ can glorify the Father by bearing much fruit. Verse 5, I am divine, you are the branches. He that abideth me on him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. I, through the Lord Jesus Christ, can bear much fruit. To do so glorifies the Father. Verse number 8, fruit, more fruit, much fruit, fruit that remains, fruit. There's, there's the fruit of souls. Uh, he that goeth forth and, and weepeth bearing precious seeds. Doubtless come again, you know, uh, with rejoicing. Bring his, bring his sheaves with him. You know the verse of Scripture. There's the fruit of the Spirit. There's the fruit of sanctification being filled with the Spirit. Uh, the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus, Paul wrote to us in Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 11. The Lord Jesus Christ has chosen us and ordained us that we should bring forth fruit and have fruit that remains. Let's talk about fruit that remains. Now we buy Bananas. Sometimes I eat them, sometimes I don't. When I don't, those bananas sit in that fruit bowl on the corner in the kitchen and they turn brown, they ruin, they, go, they get soft, they turn black and they're, they're not pleasant to eat. My own fruit decays. The fruits of my own life, the fruits of my flesh, it, it, it doesn't last. But the fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit, the fruit that comes from yielding my life to God, from walking in the life that God has for me, from resting in the Lord Jesus Christ, from abiding in Him, this can be fruit that remains. This can be fruit that lasts beyond its normal expected life. Fruit that doesn't decay. Fruit that goes beyond the expiration date. Something that I give my life to and invest my life in. And it goes beyond whatever I would ever expect it to be. Something that is eternal. That I, as a mere human, could do something that affects eternity. Not of my own flesh, not of my own power, not of my own will, but in Christ. In Christ. Young people, there's much in this world to live for, but it's not worth living for because it expired. It has an expiration date. It will fail. But that which is done for Christ, that which is done for the glory of God, it has no expiration date. It's eternal. We'll call it fruit that remains fruit that remains I have an Old Testament example of this if you would look please with me in the book of Exodus chapter 25 Exodus chapter 25 we all here today are the result of someone's input in our life thank God for the the heritage that I have my dad's a pastor I'm my dad's been pastoring for 45 years he's pastored three churches started two of those churches he is a faithful man. He's standing in the pulpit in this hour, preaching right now. Thank God for him. Thank God for that heritage. Beyond his influence and my mother's influence in my life, there were some, there were some teachers along the way. Uh, there was a Mr. Miles and a Brother Tipton and a, and a, and a Miss Palmer and a, and a Brother and Sister Lancaster. And, and many of those folks, they've gone on to Glory. <laughs> And even standing here today, what will be accomplished today through the Word of God and and through the power of God, that which will be eternal, lasting from today, there is going to be some fruit that goes to their account. The fact that I'm standing here today has nothing to do with me. It has much to do with them. That they invested in someone else. That they sacrificed and gave their life for something that was not just temporal. Temporal not just some material possession, but that they gave themselves and invested in others and gave themselves to the ministry. And the ministry involved a young man along the way. And then that young man became a middle-aged man and creeping on to, you know, how it goes. But think of all, you know, God is a good record keeper. If I can get my checkbook to balance within $10, I'm happy. If you're a CPA, I know you're greatly disappointed. Have, we have two CPAs in the church, and when I say that, they just bow their heads and shake their heads like this. They want it to the penny. If I can get it within $10, bucks, i am happy. God keeps perfect record. Watch this, Exodus 25. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, speaking to the the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. Sometimes people give an offering and sometimes we take an offering. Amen. Verse 8. So here's the purpose of it. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in among them so let's just read a few phrases from this passage of scripture so here the children of israel they're in the wilderness god says moses i want you to do something that you've never done before you have no workshop you have no tools really you have no ability to do this i want you to make me a sanctuary so this is what he said, verse 10, 25, verse 10, and they shall make an art, verse 23. Thou shalt also make a table, verse 31. Thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold, Verse twenty, uh, chapter 26, verse 1. Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen, verse 14. And thou shalt make a curtain, chapter 27, verse number 1. And thou shalt make an altar. Here we go, we could read through here and we could read about all the things that God tells Moses thou shalt make. Make these items. This is going to make up the tabernacle and its furnishings. And in this, you're going to worship me. You're going to sacrifice and I'm going to be glorified. God's presence is going to come down and dwell in the very center of the camp. This is where the people, they are going to seek into the presence of God. They're going to come to this place with their sacrifices. They're going to come here with their offerings their whole life, everything in their life. This is going to be the very center of it. For their life and their children, their grandchildren after them, everything that is is in their life that has to do with their worship of God and their following of God, God is going to use this place to lead them. When the cloud is there, they are going to stay. When the cloud moves, they're going to move. It is everything in their life has to do with this this building and these articles of furniture that God has told them to build. Listen, this is greater than Moses' ability. Do you realize that Moses at this point, Moses had been in Pharaoh's house. He had been served with a silver spoon for 40 years. I mean, God was working in his life. God was using that in his life. But he had been in that place. Moses didn't know anything about building. Moses been on the backside of the desert watching sheep as a shepherd. Moses didn't know how to build this furniture. Moses had no skills for this work and neither did the children of Israel. What have they done for 400 years? Make bricks. Make mortar. Build cities. Make bricks. Make mortar. Build cities. The children of Israel have been slaves in Egypt. They built cities of brick and mortar after making the bricks and mortar bitter, rigorous lives. They've lived in that that place, but God had a plan, and God has a plan for them right now, and God gives this plan to Moses. You read Exodus chapter 25 through Exodus chapter 30. This is the plan, the blueprint that God gives to Moses. He gives Moses about the the high priest. He he talks to him about their garments. He talks to him about their sacrifices. He talks to him about the tabernacle. He talks to him about all the furniture, and when, when God God comes to Moses and God gives him this vision. Moses can see. Moses can see it before the others can see it. That's what a leader has to do. A leader has to see before the others see. A leader has to see more than the others see. A leader has to see when the others can't see. And God gives him this vision. Moses has this. God gives him the blueprints and he's going to build this place. And not only does he have this vision, but he has the voice of God. God comes and speaks to him. Oh God, help us to always hear his voice, my sheep, hear my voice, and to be obedient to his voice. Listen, folks. Listen, folks, I'm nothing, but even in this day to yield to him, no matter how difficult or how frightening or how unsettling or uprooting it may be, that we would listen to his voice. Moses becomes a man with a holy and a heavenly vocation. So can you hear the heart of Moses? This is what I would have been saying. How? How are we going to do this, God? I don't know how to build. We don't know how to overlay with gold. We don't know how to set stones. We don't know how to weave. All we know how to do is make bricks and mortar and build cities how god how will this be looked at chapter 31 exodus chapter 31 god gives moses the plan for the work in chapter 25 through 30 and god gives moses the man for the work in chapter thirty-one, and the Lord speaking to Moses, saying, "See, when God speaks to you, stop and look and see what He's telling you. See, I've called by, na- by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, verse three, and I filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge." In all manner of workmanship, to devise cunning works, to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting stones, to set them and in carving of timber, to work in all manner of workmanship. God calls Moses to lead the children of Israel out, and then God reveals to him this plan. God doesn't give him everything at once. You know, you can't take it all at once. He just reveals as you obey. He gives you the next step. And so God gives him this plan: build this tabernacle, build the furniture. But God, how are we're going to do this? We're brickmakers. we're city builders. We don't know how to, we're in the middle of nowhere, we're in the middle of the desert. God says, "I'll give you a man. i fill him with the spirit of God. Listen, church, I'll just pause right here to say this. this is not a notes, but I'll just pause here and say this. If God's going to do anything at Victory Baptist Church, if God's going to do anything in Florida or Missouri or the Middle East, if God's going to do anything, it's going to take a spirit-filled child of God. You might push it and force it in the flesh, but it's not going to last. You might build it in the power of the flesh, in your will, in your drive, in your initiative, but it's not going to last. If it will be lasting, if it will be something that is eternal, if it will be something that remains, it must be done through the power of the Spirit of God. Filled him with the spirit, God says. So God has a man. Bezalel. Bezalel is called by God to do this work. See, I have called by name Bezalel. Listen, you might might think in your life that God has forgotten about you. You might think in your life that there's no great thing to do. You don't know why it is that you're even here in this place. I'm going to tell you what, God knows exactly who you are, and God knows exactly why you are, and He knows where you are and who you are, and He has a work for every person in this room. And when you yield yourself to the Lord and you are filled with the Spirit of God and you find that great purpose, you can do something that is eternal. Some people never get that vision. All they see is this world and the materials and the possessions and the things of this life and spend a life for something which will not last. Talking about living for eternity. So, God not only has a plan prepared, God has a man prepared. Where God's work is, He calls a man. God planted a garden called an Adam. God planted an ark called a Noah. God planted a famine called a Joseph. God planted a de- deliverance and called a Moses. God planted a Jericho and called a Joshua. God planted a tabernacle and he called a Bezalel. God planted a cross and he called a Christ. God planned a church and He called a pastor. God has a work and He will call you if you will listen. And find what that work is. And yield yourself. So God God calls this man and God fills this man. I have filled him, verse 3. He's filled with the Spirit of God. Wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship. In other words, this man had never done this before. This man had no experience in these fields. This was all new territory. He'd never taken a college class on this. He couldn't go down to the trade school and spend six months learning this. He didn't serve an apprenticeship. God called him and God filled him. And gave him the ability to do this. God works in his life and gives him the wisdom and the spirit, the understanding, the knowledge, the ability to do this workmanship. To devise, to work, to set, to work. God gives this man the abilities to do what He is asking him to do. Now I want you to notice this about Bezalel. This is not a spiritual leadership position. It's not a place of authority. It's not a place of notoriety. When you do what Bezalel is going to do, it's going to take blood, sweat, and tears. We, we might call it being in the trenches. Doing the hard work. The things that no one's going to Notice. He will not be the priest who comes uh, to these places with the sacrifice. He'll not be the priest on the Day of Atonement. But everything that He does will prepare that place for that priest to be able to come. It's not a place of notoriety. It's not a place of spiritual leadership. If you're looking for position, you're looking for the wrong thing in life. We ought to look for a job to do and a work to do. Whether it's notable, whether, whether someone would notice it or not. Whether there's a title with it or not, God, what is it that you would have for me to do to serve you, to serve this church, to serve your cause in this lifetime? It was a physical work. Just an, he, he's an overseer in, in the skill that God has given him. There are some other men that come along, but God calls Bezalel and God, God fills him. Listen, God is working in your life today. I, I have said this for years. I've said this. Perhaps my life's greatest work is yet undone. Maybe my life's greatest work will be yet fulfilled in my children or grandchildren one day. Or maybe yet in my life, if I didn't believe that, what hope would I have? If I stood today and thought, well, my life's greatest work is behind me. I have no vision and no aspiration and no goals. There's nothing that's going to drive me today. But my life's greatest work might be yet ahead. And it doesn't matter what age you are in here today. If you're still breathing, there's still a work to be done for God. God is working preparations in your life today to enable you for tomorrow's tasks. God will fill you with the wisdom and the ability to fulfill His will for your life. It is but my job to yield to Him. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly, acceptable unto God which is your reasonable servant. I've had in light of where I presently am in life. I had a pastor ask me, he said, Are you going through a midlife crisis? I said, No, when people go through a midlife crisis, they get, you know, they get a convertible, they go to Hawaii, they get a motorcycle. To never cease to hear. To never cease to hear. What if life's greatest work is yet undone, but that I'm so settled in my life and I'm enjoying my security so much that I'm unwilling to hear and I'm unwilling to obey and I'm unwilling to follow I'm unwilling to give what it might cost. My wife and I have had many conversations in the last few months about life. And one day she said something along these lines. She said, you know, here we are. We've given our life to the ministry 25 years. This year we've been married 25 years in September. I still love you more today than I ever did. Give your life to the Lord, to His church, to His people. So what we've done with our life is just try to serve the Lord, serve the church, and serve people. She said, you, you know, you, you think, okay, Lord, you have my all. I've given you everything. We, we both live away from family. My family's in Alabama. Her family's in Illinois. We're in truly in the middle of nowhere. You folks know where Campbell is. You know where Campbell is. Nobody else does. You can't get there from here. Well, we've given ourselves to you. And you think that you've given him everything. And yet he comes and he asks for more. So you pause and you ponder in your life, Lord, did I truly give you everything? Have I truly submitted all to you? God will call you to do a work for Him. God has a purpose and a plan for every one of His children. God will never ask you to do that which he, was not, which he does not enable you to do. God needs physical laborers for His work in this world today. So here's a common excuse. I don't know how. I don't know how I would do that. I don't know how I could could do that work I don't know how I could do that job I don't know how I could tell that I don't know how I could train that person I don't know how I could disciple someone I don't know how I could teach that class I don't know how I could preach down at the jail I don't know how I could I don't know how I could go to the mission field I don't know how I could do that because I don't have the ability my life is so settled as it is now I don't know how I could do that Maybe we have forgotten. I want to just read a couple of verses for you. It's from the book of James. James says, if any of you lack, let me just, let me just pause and say, preacher, I'm not, I'm not trying to get anyone out of your, I respect you and I respect your pulpit and I respect your church family and I wouldn't come here and try to call anyone to do anything. That is the work of God. I think you'd know my heart enough to know that. And I say that openly and publicly. But if God has called you and you're using an excuse, your excuse will be a zero at the judgment seat of Christ. It will not stand up against the will and the purpose and the call of God. Well, I didn't have the ability, if any, If any of you lack, now this is James 1, if any of you lack wisdom, what will let him? I don't know how to be a witness. Ask God to give you the wisdom. I don't know how to do that work down at the press. Then ask God to give you the wisdom. I don't know how to read music and sing in the choir. Ask God to give you the wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth all men liberally. And upbraideth not, and shall be given him, but let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. Ask God for wisdom. Maybe God has given you a work and it's more than you and your time constraint The energy that you have in life or the abilities that God has given you, maybe it's more than you can do, like Moses was here in Exodus 25 through 30. Ask God for workers. Ask. Ask. My wife and I are at this place through this process. God, who is in Japan? From Isaiah 45. God, who is in Japan? And so I was able to find some missionaries in Japan and was able to, to pray for them. God, who is in Turkey? I couldn't find anyone in Turkey. I looked and looked and looked and looked and looked and I couldn't find anyone in Turkey. And so this burden pressed heavier and heavier and heavier upon me. And I realized that the call of God is more than just a burden. There is this heavy burden upon me and so I prayed. I began to pray for Turkey. God, would you send someone to Turkey? God, would you send someone to Turkey? Is this not what the Lord said? Pray you, therefore the Lord of the harvest that He would send forth laborers to His harvest. And one day, I found a couple in Turkey. Hallelujah. What that meant for me? Someone's there. And I gave that burden to the Lord. And then I met a man who had been in Jordan, and I couldn't find anybody in Jordan. And we began to pray, I began to pray before my wife and my family even knew anything about this, it just a burden on my heart. God, I pray for, I pray for Jordan. I pray for the Middle East. I pray for, we, you know, Brother Gassowicz a couple of weeks ago. Been with him in Egypt a couple of times. We talk about that region of the world. And through that, God began to use scripture and work, you know, My dad said this many years ago. He said, be careful what you pray. You might become the answer to your own prayer. God sends someone to my family. God sends someone to my family. God sends someone to my family. Well, why did He place you in your family? God sends someone to my neighborhood. Well, He's placed you there. God, we need a witness on, on the job, in the workplace. We need a witness here. Well, why did God place you there? So you begin to pray, and you become the answer to your own prayer. And so maybe now my wife wishes I didn't pray. <laughs> I'm being facetious. Tell God you're willing. Lord, if you would give me the ability to build this tabernacle, God, I, I, I would do this if you give me the ability, but you have to fill me with your spirit. You have to give me wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And this work that is to be done, God, it's greater than I can do. It's more than my physical ability. It's more than my strength and my age will bear. God, if, you, if you'll give me the ability, if you'll give me the opportunity, Lord, I'll be obedient to you. You realize that what Bezalel does, it's just physical labor. Just, he's just working a job. He uses a hammer and a saw, whatever that looked like in his day. It's just physical work. But physical work done in obedience to the call and command of God, filled with the Spirit of God for His purpose, for His honor, for His glory. Listen, physical work. Cleaning out the flower beds at the church is physical work. It's obvious that you have a nursery somewhere. That's that's physically taxing. That's mentally taxing. But done in the spirit and the power of God is not just a Temporal work. It is something that is eternal because it is to the glory of God. And when filled with the Spirit of God, it doesn't matter if it's vacuuming the carpet or picking up paper off the pews or straightening up the song books in being filled with the Spirit of God. Everything we do must be done in the power of the Spirit or it is temporal. But when done in the power of the Spirit, it is something that is eternal. There's eternal cause and there's eternal reward. Bezalil's is commissioned by Moses to do the work. Moses has the ultimate responsibility, but Bezalil is tasked with doing this labor. Look at chapter 36, if you would. Please, Exodus 36. Exodus 36. Now there's another fellow here that God calls and, and is Bezalil's sidekick, then wrong Bezalil and Aholiab. And every wise hearted man. Bezalil doesn't do it alone. It's never a one man show. There might be an overseer. There might be a foreman. But it takes a crew. Many hands make light work. And every wise-hearted man in whom the Lord had put wisdom and understanding. Watch this. God gave them the wisdom and the understanding. Read those next three words with me. I'm in Exodus 36 verse 1. Put wisdom and understanding to. Remember that excuse we talked about? To know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary according to all that the Lord had commanded. So look at chapter 36, verse 14. Those first three words, read read those words. What does the Bible say? And he made. Had they ever done this before? As far as we know, they're they're just brick, I mean, they're they're, they're brickmakers. So this is a new work. And he made verse 19 and he made he made a covering verse 20 and he made boards verse 31 and he made bars verse 34 and he overlaid the boards with gold verse 35 and he made a veil verse 37 and he made chapter 37 verse 1 and bezalel made the ark verse 2 and he overlaid it with pure gold verse 6 and you made the, Think about how holy. We're talking about the mercy seat where the high priest will go in on the day of atonement and sprinkle that blood. One day here's a man just doing his job, just doing his work that God has called him to do, but he does it in the spirit and the power of God. What a holy calling. A holy calling. I mean, we read over this. Think about about what's going to happen right here when He makes this mercy seat. Think about the Shekinah glory, the presence of Almighty God will come down to this place. Imagine that God would use what you do with your effort, your time, your labor, the ability that He has given you, submitted and yielded to Him, whatever that work is, and you would... Do what God has called you to do. Then the God of all eternity would come and inhabit, would inhabit that place. He's just doing his job. The power of God. Verse 10, and he made the table. Verse 17, and he made the candlestick. Verse 25, and he made the incense. Verse 29, he made the holy anointing oil. Verse 38, I'm I'm sorry, chapter 38. There's no verse 38. Chapter 38, verse 1. And he made the altar of burnt offerings. These men given a job to do, they just go to work. They accomplished the task that is set before them. They made all of these items. They're just doing what Moses told them to do, right? Just being obedient. Just doing what God had set before them. Filled with His Spirit. For the honor and the glory of God. What are we talking about today? Where do we start? John 15. I do have a purpose. We're about to to find it. What are we talking about today? Fruit that remains. I I don't know what I hope you're using the King James. Amen. I trust that you are. Don't know which one that is. In in this Schofield, in the center center column up at the top, right here in Exodus chapter number 38, the date is 1491. But Mr. Usher says 1491. So who's the mathematician here? Help me. Anybody? No mathematicians? All right. I'll tell you what it is. Go to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. Chapter number one. Second Chronicles, chapter number one. If you have Usher's dating here, you'll see that the date in Second Chronicles, chapter one, is BC 1015. So, my mathematician, help me. Anybody? All right, 475 years. 475 years later. So Bezalel just gets up on Monday and he goes to work filled with the Spirit of God. He does something that he's never done before, filled with wisdom and understanding and all manner of workmanship. He's just doing what God asked him to do. He's been dead. His body is long decayed. 475 years later, so there's a young man. He's coming to the throne. His father has been king over Israel. Huge shoes to follow. It's a work that's greater than his ability. It's a work that's greater than his know-how. He's come to the throne. David is dead. Second Chronicle, uh, First Chronicles, the last chapter. I believe it's chapter twenty-nine. David's died. Solomon has come to the throne. 475 years after where we just were in Exodus. Let's, let's read. And Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom. And the Lord his God was with him. And magnified him exceedingly. Then Solomon spake unto all Israel, the captains of thousands, to hundreds, to the judges, to every governor, of all Israel, the chief of the fathers. So Solomon and all the congregation with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon, for there was the tabernacle of the congregation of God, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness. I'm talking about something that lasts beyond. We're talking about threads. We're talking about skins. Four hundred and seventy-five years ago, Moses and these men shaped this in the wilderness. there's a young man who's coming to the throne and he's going to pray and ask God for something and God's going to answer him in this chapter such as no man will ever be answered God gives him ability like no man before nor after apart from Jesus Christ will ever know from what Solomon gets in this chapter Verse 4, but the ark of God that David brought up from kerjath to the place which David prepared for it, pitched a tent for it at Jerusalem. Verse 5, here's the, here's the whole message right here. Here's the whole message. Verse 5, moreover, the brazen altar that Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made, he put before the tabernacle of the Lord. Solomon and the congregation saw to it. And Solomon went up thither to the brazen altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of the congregation, and offered a thousand burnt offerings upon it. In that night did God appear unto Solomon and said unto him, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon asked for wisdom, and God gives Solomon wisdom. In the midst of this great responsibility, Bezalel is accomplishing everything that he's been given to do. This is just another piece of furniture. It's just another day of the week. It's just punching the clock one more time. Or is it? Because as a child of God, everything we do is spiritual. And all of our work must be done filled with the Spirit and even physical labor done for the glory of God. God will inhabit and bless. 475, 476 years later, after Bezalel is gone, this altar is still there. His spiritual work for God was in the physical realm. But his physical work was guided by God's wisdom, empowered by God's spirit, according to God's commands. What am I accomplishing in life that will last beyond my lifetime? What am I building that will help others to have access to God? What am I doing in obedience to the will, the plan of God for my life? What life's work does God have for me to accomplish? What wisdom will God give me to use for His glory and for the furtherance of His kingdom? Will there be any fruit that remains? A work that lasts beyond our time? A message that lasts beyond its service? A disciple that lasts beyond our input and influence? Christians, Christians. Who stick, children who stay, churches that stand. My life, your life, can impact others way beyond your lifespan, way beyond your expiration date. There can be fruit that remains. There's a man named Robert Jenkins. Robert Jenkins was in Douglasville, Georgia, 1975. My father met him there. Brother Jenkins was a a successful businessman. He sold all that he had. He went to the island of Dominica. He stayed there most of his adult life, starting churches and training men. He returned back to the state of Mississippi to work with Brother Compton at Maranatha Baptist Missions. Years later, the president of Dominica brought Brother Jenkins back to the island. This is what he said. He said, missionaries are welcome to come here, but truly we don't need your help. For our people are evangelizing themselves all thanks to the efforts of Robert Jenkins. Brother Robert gone on to heaven. But his life is fruit, it still goes on. Invest in eternity. Invest in the cause of Christ. Invest in others. That your life might have fruit. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit, fruit that remains. Father,